This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hola, bienvenidos, buongiorno. Welcome to a brand spanking new episode, a freshly baked episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your flaming hot and spicy, seasonally depressed, white wine drinking, talky finger licking, target overspending, hot mess of a host, Lorenzo von Rumpf. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Great time to be alive. This is actually one of my favorite times to be alive because we're going into Pisces season. I love my Pisces kings and queens. Oh, my little fishies. They are the sweetest people. I love Pisces. Special place in my heart. If you're a Pisces listening to this right now, let's dive into those deep waters together. I love frolicking in the ocean with you. I'm a cancer crab and I just connect on a very deep level with Pisces peeps. Pisces is from February 19th through March 20th. My mama, the queen, is a Pisces. And every Pisces I've met, I always feel some sort of a special connection with them. They're deep, soulful. They're the great pontificators of life. They have a soulfulness to them. And they're just so kind, sweet, kind people. But don't mistake that kindness for weakness. These little fishies could be piranhas. I'm a piranha. If you get on their bad side, <laughs> a Pisces queen will never forget if you did or dirty. And so I love that about them. And I'm the same in that way. Don't f- with cancers either. So if you're celebrating a birthday this month, Feliz cumpleaños. Love you, Pisces queens. I'm doing something very special for my mom's birthday this year. It's March 1st, which I think is a Wednesday. So we're going to end up celebrating it the following weekend. And I'm planning just a beautiful B-Day dinner for her with a couple surprises. But I don't want to say what they are because word travels fast. And if she were to find out or listen to this, I want her to be pleasantly surprised. And so anyway, I'm excited. I'm in planning mode, getting ready for a special birthday for her. And this year specifically just hits a bit different. Coming out of the pandemic and also some major health struggles that she's had, it was a really scary year. And it's been an eye-opening one, a lot of revelations health-wise, And she's been through hell and back and hasn't been feeling that great. And so with that really close call that she could have had, if she hadn't been diagnosed with that genetic blood disease from her doctor, we probably wouldn't have been celebrating a birthday for her. I mean, her doctor really held nothing back in saying, if you hadn't had this diagnosis, you probably wouldn't have made it to next Christmas. And you'd be lucky to even celebrate a birthday. Let's get you into some treatment. And so I'm so grateful to My mom for being so proactive, myself too for really being proactive and her taking her health really seriously. And just knowing that when it comes to doctors, and I've talked about this so many times, but I'll never tire of saying it because it is really important. But yes, doctors know a lot. And yes, they're very helpful, but they have a lot of patience. And so especially here in the States, Los Estados Unidos doctors are very quick to diagnose and then say adios. And so With that, you can be misdiagnosed. And she was several times with several different doctors. So again, just be really mindful of that. You have to be in the driver's seat of your own health. And this has really been a huge life lesson for my family, my mom specifically. And I'm looking at her like, damn, yeah, the doctor can diagnose you, but it could also be wrong. You got to do your own research and be very, very active, proactive in your own health. You're your own biggest advocate. No one else is going to do it for you. Believe me, I've seen so many patients fall through the cracks, family members that I have. It's just 
really sad. And so this year, it being her birthday, I just really want to make it extra special and really celebrate her life. I hope you are having a beautiful day, a great week so far. If you are not feeling that great right now, if you're feeling so stressed and overwhelmed, I get it right now. It's that in-between springtime, we're not quite into April yet. It's a bit gloomy still outside. The weather's still kind of depressing for a lot of people. And so I understand where that really affects people's moods. I get that. So if you're just in that depressed place, just feeling so anxious or stressed or all of the above, don't you worry, boo-boo. Don't you fret. You have come to the right place. This episode is going to turn that frown upside down. It's so good. Before we get into it, though, let's talk mental health. Nobody asked, (laughs) but my mental health score this week is actually a solid 7.0. I'm just a nice clean 7, which again, I'm on an uphill incline. I'm doing okay compared to where I was a couple weeks ago to even last week. This is an improvement. A seven is a 70%. It's a C average. We're doing okay on these streets. Yes, life does get stressful and a bit overwhelming at times, but I've just been really trying to put steps in place to give myself a fighting chance. And so drinking my water, making sure I'm getting some steps in, taking some time to actually go outside, real easy things that we can all do to improve our own mental health and feel like we're in the driver's seat, but so difficult sometimes to get to that finish line. You know what I mean? It's easier said than done. That's why I was contemplating doing that 75 hard challenge. Have you heard of that? The 75 hard challenge. It's all over TikTok. There's a lot of websites and blogs, people talking about the 75 hard challenge. It sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Just it's very intense. Well, let me just break it down. The 75 day challenge, 75 hard challenge is what it's known as. There are five simple things that you have to do, but it's again, more intense once you really break it down. First of all, you have to follow some sort of a diet, any diet, Mediterranean, if you're doing intuitive eating, keto, whatever that diet is for you, you have to stick to it with no cheat meals and no alcohol. No alcohol for 75 days? Oh, and I do love a cheat meal on a weekend, especially if I have an edible. I want to Postmates something good. So that's why I'm like, okay, it sounds like I could get through this, but it is a bit of work and a challenge. It's called a 75 hard challenge for a reason. So that's the first thing is follow some sort of a specific diet that works for you. Nice, clean eating. Second thing, you have to work out twice a day for 45 minutes. One of those workouts has to be outside. Oh, so that's 90 minutes of working out every single day. And 45 of those has to be outside somewhere. That's doable. Again, depends on where you live. It could be cold, but yeah, if it's cold, you still got to get your ass outside some way, somehow. Third thing, which I do this already, you got to drink a gallon of water. One gallon of water daily. The fourth thing, you have to read 10 pages of a nonfiction book daily. And a lot of people are saying, you know, when I've read blogs about this, that audiobooks don't count. I think they do count. So I would bend the rules and do an audiobook because that's still really helping you. And some people retain it more if you actually listen to it as opposed to reading it. So you know, I'm, I'm not doing a hard 75. I'm contemplating doing like a medium to soft 75. Like I'll bend the rules a little bit. Like audiobooks are good for me and maybe both of my workouts, one of them won't be outside. Maybe they'll both be inside, but that's still a huge win. And then the last thing, which I actually don't like this, you have to take progress pictures daily, at least one progress picture a day for 75 days. So I'm going to pose the question to you. Are you into this? Is this something that you would want to do? And if you're feeling it, please let me know in the review section of Apple Podcasts. 
And if enough people are into it, I'm going to get a group together, like a support group, because I'm going to need it. <laughs> so we will all be in this little shit storm, 75 hard challenge together. That's more appealing to me than taking it all on by myself. So if you're into doing something like this, or you've tried it before, there are people who've already done this and loved it. The results are great. You're supposed to have mental clarity, physical, mental, emotional, like everything should improve after 75 days. The caveat is if you screw up, typically I would just keep going and say, oh, I messed up, keep it going. But no, the thing that makes this really hard is if you do screw up one day, you got to go back to day one and start all over again, which to me sounds like a nightmare. So <laughs> would actually give me the motivation to stick it through the 75 days so I don't have to start back at square one. So yeah, let me know if you're down to do the 75 hard challenge with me or 75 soft medium challenge. Let me know if you're interested in this. And uh, if so, we will start a support group, low life support group for kings and queens who are up for the challenge. All right, let's get into this week's episode. I'm really excited for this guest, Andre Solo. You're going to want to listen to this episode if you are a very sensitive person, if you've been told, oh, you're too emotional. Oh, you're just a sensitive guy or a sensitive girl. Like, you know, you get too in your feels. You're an emotional king or queen. If you've been told that or felt shame or some sort of stigma or embarrassment because you're a highly sensitive person, today's about to rock your world, boo. You're going to have a different perspective after this one because it is not a weakness. It's actually a strength, a superpower, if you will. Even if you're not a highly sensitive person, this episode is still going to be very beneficial because there's a strong chance you're friends with one, work with one, colleagues, family members, whatever. It's 30% of the population is highly sensitive. Not the majority, but this minority is definitely impactful. And so this episode will resonate with you as well. Let me give you a little background info on this guy, Andre Solo. He is a force to be reckoned with. He is the founder of Sensitive Refuge. It's the world's largest website for highly sensitive people. I'm going to link the website in the description of this episode. There's so many great resources, links to articles. I loved it. And so he started that website and it's getting a lot of traffic to it. And he's also an author. He's written a couple different books. One is actually supposed to drop this coming week. Yeah, the last one he wrote was called Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person into a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. Andre Solo is not only an author, he's a researcher, a public speaker, and he serves as the editor-in-chief of Sensitive Refuge. Of course, he himself is a highly sensitive person, and he's taken his passion for this specific topic and has been sharing his knowledge and expertise and his research with the world. He's written for Forbes, Psychology Today. He's spoken internationally for Amazon, Huffington Post, The Washington Post, Vogue, MSNBC, The Telegraph. I mean, this guy's been on a ton of podcasts. He's a great guest. He's a wealth of information. And so on today's show, we're going to talk about being a highly sensitive person, how to navigate a relationship with someone who is highly sensitive. We also talk about the difference between introverts, empaths, and highly sensitive people, and the 13 things to ask yourself to know if you actually are highly empathetic. I just assume that most highly sensitive people are introverts. I was wrong on that, and we're going to talk about it. There are so many interesting things that I learned in this episode. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I'm grateful you're here. You're here today for a reason. So without further ado, let's jump into today's very special episode with a sensitive king, Mr. Andre Solo. Hit it.
I'm so excited. This is a, a topic that I definitely am excited to explore with you because, I mean, you've really built a whole career on sensitivity and being a highly sensitive person. And with sensitivity, oh my God, there's so much shame. I always hear phrases like, like, oh, he's just a sensitive boy. Not that I didn't grow up in the <laughs> South, but I say it like, you know, right. oh, he's just so sensitive. And there's a negative connotation associated with it, or it feels a bit yeah. like shameful if you're a sensitive person, especially, I think it goes for both boys and girls, but there's more stigma, unfortunately, when it comes to little boys who are sensitive. Yes. And so I would love to talk to, to you about that. And also when I was on your website, which this website, if you're a sensitive person out there listening to this, like we have found a safe place. There's just a wealth of information and resources and really good articles. Some that you guys have written, others that you've linked. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Stuff that I didn't even know. And so one thing that I was really surprised about that I'd love for you to talk to me about is sensitivity is something that you're born with. And I was surprised by that. I was like, wait a minute. It's, is it like an actual something they could like study, like a gene mutation, if you will? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bunch of gene variants. Yeah, you're exactly right. If you're a, if you're a sensitive person, you're most likely born that way, and you're not going to become substantially less sensitive over the course of your life. Now, like with everything, there's a genetic part, and there's a part that comes from your environment and your nurture and everything else. But with sensitive people, it's almost a 50-50 split, and we know that from twin studies because people who are identical twins have the same genes, have the same you know sensitivity-related genes, can end up scoring differently on a sensitivity test. And so we have a sense of how much of that score comes from nurture versus how much from the genes. It's about a 50-50 split. But the way those two things affect it are different. If you're a sensitive person, your genes have sort of put you in the ballpark. If you think of sensitivity like any other trait, is a continuum. You can be average, you can be high, like you're more sensitive than average, or you can be at the low end. And about 30% of people, almost one in three, both men and women in every gender, are highly sensitive. And you are probably in that ballpark of being on the high end because of your genes. But over the course of your life, your experiences could move you around a little bit. If we think of it as a 100-point scale, you know, and, and you're sort of in the high end because of your genes, you might go from a 75 to an 80 or from a 75 down to a 71, but you're not going to go from a 75 to a 30. It's just kind of in your, in your blood, so to speak. Got it. So they've been able to study that, but I'm like, yeah, they can't find out if people are born gay yet. <laughs> what the hell is that yeah. about? Right. You can see him. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be a sensitive boy. Don't know if he's going to be a gay one, though. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's like, right, right. come on. Maybe there is research that's been done on that, but it just hasn't, I don't know, they haven't put enough money into it. I think that's very possible, yeah. And I think it's also, it's a really interesting time in genetics. This was explained to me by one of the leading sensitivity researchers, Michael Pluis, who we interviewed for the book. And he works a lot with the genetic basis of sensitivity as well as the psychological side and how those interact. And there is sort of this change in mindset. It used to be that when we looked at, well, is there a gene responsible for this personality trait or this, this habit or mannerism, we would look for like one gene or like five or six genes that together would do something. And so you'd have a lot of this hit and miss stuff where you'd find, oh, it looks like this gene is related to sensitivity in this study, but then the next study, oh, we don't see a connection. And it turns out that most personality traits are, and anything like complex and behavioral, like sensitivity, don't involve 10 or 12 or 30 or 50 genes. They involve several thousand gene variants across the whole DNA strand. 
So there's sort of a constellation. If you have you know, 700 or 800 out of those 1,000 gene variants, you're probably going to be highly sensitive. If you have only you know, 400 out of them, you won't be as sensitive. So there's kind of not one gene in particular, but there are some, some genes that are particularly important in that uh, development of sensitivity. But overall, it's sort of this like, you can almost think of it as like a thumbprint of what sensitivity looks like in the DNA. And you don't have to have a perfect thumbprint that's exactly all of them in order to end up being sensitive or, or less sensitive. Yeah, very interesting. What got you into diving into this particular study? I mean, as you were you know, growing up and realizing, oh, I'm a sensitive guy. You know, I'm really in touch with my feelings. Did you have a household? Because I feel like, yes, there's the whole argument of nature versus nurture. And clearly what you've said, it's a little bit of both. So growing up in the household that you had, was sensitivity something that was cultivated and allowed and embraced? Or did you feel a bit suppressed? And that's what led you to this mission of yours to have a platform that helps a lot of highly sensitive people. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So that is... That is actually where my co-author Jen and I are different because she has known her entire life that she is sensitive. She has used that word about herself for most of her life, and it was something that people you know, would comment on as, as she was a child. Myself, growing up as a boy, as you said, it's a different experience. And I've been sensitive my entire life, of course, but I did not know that about myself, and I wouldn't have used that word for much of my life. It wasn't until I was an adult that I started to wonder, what is it that's making me different? I know I'm different somehow. I know I seem to think differently and do things differently than other people. And for the longest time, I thought it was a flaw. Actually, when I was in kindergarten, you know, it's sort of your first experience of going to school, which is all these other kids and people around you, and it can be highly stimulating. By definition, if you're sensitive, you process information from your surroundings more deeply. You're putting more of your mental resources, more of your brain's attention and time into each new piece of input that comes in. So you get into a kindergarten, and I was fine in the classroom. It was pretty, you know, reasonably quiet. I'm sure kindergarten is not the quietest classroom. But then once we get out of the playground, you've got kids running, screaming, playing. Some of them are fighting. Some of them are laughing. And it was just too much. So I would get in the playground, and I would just run off and hide. And I started finding the perfect hiding place. You're about to have a meltdown. I would, yeah, I was right on the verge of, I just didn't know why the word overstimulation at the time, but that's what I was feeling. So I'd run off and hide, and eventually I, they figured out that I was hiding in a in a nearby like storm sewer opening, uh, which probably shouldn't be near a playground. But uh, and that was it was I was comfy there. It's like it was quiet. I come back when recess is over, no problem. But when they realized that's where I was going, that was a big problem. So I always had this idea that there was something wrong with me. And my parents are actually wonderful. I think they're, they're terrific, loving parents. But they also were working with what they had, and kind of being working class Midwestern folks sensitivity was not on their radar. So I got the same societal message as everyone else that like boys are tough and you should be tough. And of course, sensitive people can be tough. We can be very strong, but it's a different way of looking at the world. I like that. Well put. It's a different way of looking at the world. And so when you say it's one in three people are sensitive, highly sensitive. So I always had the perspective and coming from the lens of everybody's sensitive. It's just whether you're in touch with it or not. Everybody has sensitivity. It's just, are you allowing yourself to be in your feels and understand where it's coming from? Or did you grow up in a house where it's embraced or you feel safe enough to express yourself? So then everybody would be sensitive. But apparently, no, it's not that. Like, I guess, yeah, everybody has some form of sensitivity, but there are definitely those that skew way more on the sensitive side than others. And it maybe that doesn't even have to do with the home that they grew up in. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it is a continuum. So I think what I like to say is that everyone is sensitive to some degree, but there's no one in the world who's not sensitive at all. Even sociopaths. Some people are more sensitive than others. Yeah, right. I was going to say maybe sociopath. But it helps to understand, too, what sensitivity means. I think when we when we hear the word sensitive, we often think of it as meaning someone is very fragile or delicate or maybe even that they overreact to things. They take it very personal. Yes. Yeah. They take things too personally. We, we use it that way a lot of the time in just common like usage. But as a personality trait, being sensitive just means that your brain processes information more deeply. And everyone's brain processes information. We all pick up the, you know, what we're pulling in through the five senses. We all notice whether someone's smiling or frowning. But a sensitive person is going to take that same information and their brain is going to go through every piece of it and not just kind of filter it out and say, oh, I, I get the idea and move on. A sensitive person really does put a lot of processing power into everything they notice, whether it's important or not. And so the traits you see are some things we think of as being sensitive, right? So sensitive people tend to have a high sense of empathy. And that makes sense because if you're noticing every emotional cue around you, and your brain isn't filtering out any of them. You notice that little hint of a smile that flashes across someone's face right before they hide it. Of course, you're more attuned to people's emotions and you start to think and feel, well, what must they be feeling? So you have this higher sense of empathy. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you it. You hate the high empathy? Yeah. I hate it. You know what? I, I thought it was a gift and now I'm like, it's kind of a curse. There's this thing on your website, this article, 13 questions to know if you're highly empathetic or not, you're an, yeah, or you're right. an empath. And sure. I was like, I checked all 13. I was like, okay, God, this sucks. <laughs> because sometimes yeah. the reason why I'm like, this is a disadvantage. And I'm sure you could understand and relate to this is sometimes I take on the problems of people in my lives and I lose sleep. I have a friend that's going through something. I couldn't sleep last night because of it. My mom, the queen, she's going through something health-wise. I just ate like six Ferrero Rocher, those stupid little hazelnut balls. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. eating. I was like, oh, the queen, because she has a doctor's appointment. And so I take and I stress out and I think like what they're going through. I sensed a tone of someone's voice in a in a voice note to me. I was like, oh God, something's going on with them. And I was so worried. Yes. And just I felt like their energy from a mile away. And so anyway, not to go off on an empath. No, that's a hundred percent spot on. And my whole life, I part of me thought, well, everyone must just do that. And it, it took time to realize, no, a lot of people don't <laughs> no. read that much into it. They no. don't think about it. They don't care. It doesn't bother them, right? But it's funny, I never would have used, I don't think if you'd asked me when I was 12 or 15 or 22, I don't think I would have said I'm a really high empathy person. I didn't think of it that way. I did know that I'm really good at reading the room, reading people, right? Yeah. I can, I can Feeling tell the what energy. people are thinking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that can be, like you said, it can be a curse. I think a lot of people struggle with empathy. Something we talk about in the book is because sensitive people tend to have this high level of empathy and it can be exhausting and draining. You take on people's problems, just like you said. It helps to start to understand the difference between empathy, which is really just picking up the emotions from other people, versus compassion. And compassion is starting to think about, well, where's this person coming from? What do they need? How could I help them in some way? And you can turn that compassion on yourself as well, right? That what do I need right now? Do I have the bandwidth to, to get involved in something? And you know what we see is, and what, what researchers have found, is that there's this very different response in the body when you have empathy versus when you practice compassion. Empathy happens automatically to a large degree. Someone else is upset, you start to feel upset or at least stressed out. And when you're doing empathy with someone, you tend to have a faster heart rate. You tend to start to even just physically with your posture, pull away from people a little bit because you are feeling the pain they're feeling. 
But when you practice compassion, we find that the heart rate slows down, the breathing slows down, the nervous system becomes calm, and you actually move toward the person, both in terms of your posture, but also just in terms of where you're both at. You know, you're thinking about how can I help? How can I reach out? How can I be, be there for this person? And it makes it much easier to pick up on those emotions because you're connecting with the human being over it. Uh, one researcher we talked to used the expression that if a baby starts crying, it doesn't help if you start crying too. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> now you just got two people who are upset. Sure. Uh, so it's that act of like bridging the distance and looking for how, you know, what, what's the connection here that you can form. Do you find that most empathetic, highly empathetic, highly sensitive people are also introverts, loners, lone wolves? Ooh. No, not at all. This is my favorite question, because I think even among researchers, sensitivity and introversion were sort of mixed together for a long time. And at this point, about 30 years of studies have been pretty consistent that when you test somebody for both their, their sensitivity and also the other major personality traits, so things like introversion or extroversion, and of course, you know, conscientiousness, agreeableness, et cetera, it comes out where they're all, they're all measuring something different. The score in one does not determine the score in another. There's some overlap between sensitivity and a few of them, but not enough where it's the same thing. And with introverts specifically, I would say, so on average, I mean, out of all the sensitive people in the world, they do skew more toward being introverts. It's like a little bit more than, you know, in the general population, but there's at least a third of them are extroverts. And the way I think of it is introversion is a, is a social dynamic. It's a social continuum. It's where do you get your energy from? Is it from being around people and kind of getting that shared energy? Or is it about having alone time with your thoughts? And, and that's where you build your energy. Being sensitive is about your environment. Sensitive people are at their best in calm environments, and they struggle in overstimulating or chaotic environments. So a sensitive extrovert might be someone who they love people, they get their energy from people, they want to put lots of people time in their calendar each week, but when they go out, they're not going to be doing what a less sensitive extrovert would do. They don't want to go to a networking event of 500 people in a huge conference space. They don't want to go to a, a club that's got you know hundreds of people packed into a small space with music so loud you can't hear. They want to meet one or two or three friends for dinner at a quiet restaurant and have some deeper connection. It's a calm environment, and there's a lot of depth there, which is what sensitive people crave. Oh, that's all I want. Give me a glass of wine, a cozy yes. couch a safe atmosphere, a scented candle or two. Yes. I'll take that over a loud with a lot of people, a big party type of situation. Even when it comes to restaurants, I prefer way more intimate. Absolutely. Hair thinning impacts a lot of us. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol, I've been recommending it to my friends and family. I take it. My mama, the queen, takes it. Queen, you love yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I recommend it to my hairstylist. I recommend it to my sister-in-law and even my niece. We range in age from like 22 to 67. They're loving it. Yeah, they are. It's a great Mother's Day gift. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. 
I love that you're taking the idea of being sensitive and not only providing resources and help for people that are in relationships with highly sensitive people, but also reframing it into a way that it's more of a superpower. And I want to talk it about is, that. Yeah. Why is it not a negative thing in your eyes and definitely more of a positive thing? Because there are a lot of parents out there who are, have their kids are like, oh, my son or my daughter, they're just really sensitive or we got to be really careful. They're sensitive, you know, or they, they get in their feelings. Yeah, there's a huge stigma associated with it. So this is a, I love this question, right? Because the truth is sensitivity is a normal, healthy personality trait. It's just like it's technically a temperamental trait but it's a normal, healthy trait for the human mind, right? And it's like any other trait, it comes with its strengths and its weaknesses. You just get a different set of them. But with sensitivity in, in particular, let's think about what that deep processing does. We talked about how it connects to empathy, but you're also deep processing everything else. So sensitive people tend to be very deep thinkers. They tend to make connections that other people don't see, or they make them sooner than other people. They tend to be extremely creative because of those things. And of course, we have this stereotype of the sensitive artist. There is some truth to that. A lot of artists are sensitive people because of that creativity link. But creativity can also be innovation. It can be coming up with solutions to problems in business, technologies. Some of the greatest achievements of human history are things that were you know, done by sensitive people. Uh, so you know, we wouldn't have the theory of evolution without Charles Darwin, who by everything you can read in any of his biographies or, or journals looks like a very typical picture of a sensitive person. So it's actually linked with giftedness. That doesn't mean that every sensitive person has a genius IQ. I don't think I do. But it does mean that we're, we're taking more time to think about the same things that everyone else is working with. So we just do more with that information. So those are some of the upsides. But you also are more attuned to your environment. So you're just more aware of things in your surroundings. You notice the texture of a fabric. You notice the hint of oak in a, in a good Chardonnay. These are just things you pick up that other people might not. And sometimes it's annoying. You know, if, if your coworker has a cologne that you do not like, it's not that great to be physically sensitive. But it's also this. Oh, I love power. that you're referring to also physical sensitivity. Yeah, exactly. Do they go and hand in hand? And they go hand in hand so much really? so that if you take, if you have a headache, and you take a Tylenol to numb your physical pain, you will score lower on an empathy test until that Tylenol wears off. What? Yeah, it's two sides of the same coin. Because if the brain's processing emotional stuff deeper, it's processing everything else deeper, typically. I mean, any given sensitive person might be a little more one or the other, but they tend to go very much hand in hand. And that physical sensitivity, I mean, talk about you know the difference between men and women. So both male and female sensitive people have, generally speaking, the same strengths and the same traits, but they answer the questions differently on a sensitivity test. A male sensitive person will check more of the boxes related to physical sensitivity because maybe they're afraid to say that they're really emotional or they're really empathetic, but they're really comfortable and they really notice how their sensitivity pays off physically. So that attunement, we call it sensory intelligence, that attunement to your surroundings it can mean you notice the notes of Oak and a Chardonnay, but it can also be what the military calls situational awareness, mm. which is what keeps combat units alive. It's, it means that you notice that little tiny rustle in the bushes that gave away that there's an ambush up ahead or that something's off. And that's the military trains people to be able to do that. And it's a trait that sensitive people kind of have an advantage at out of the gate. It's also useful in sports. It's also useful in emergency rooms and operating rooms where any tiny change in the patient, if you don't notice it, you might not realize that they're about to code. So it's a, it's a crucial trait. And 
Overall, there is sort of a theory that I think is, is largely on the right track that sensitivity is an adaptive trait. It is, in a sense, an evolutionary advantage because it's not just 2 or 3% of the population. It's 30% of the population. And that means that the, the cavemen who did not have that many sensitive people probably died off. <laughs> and we see the same trait in at least 100 species that we've tested, you know, that we've looked at so far. It seems that nature just keeps over and over saying, hey, any species, it really helps if you have a chunk of people who just process the environment more deeply. So it helps, obviously, if you're trying to survive out in the jungle, if you notice something you know, that might sneak up on you. But it also helps today. It helps in reading the room. It helps in being good at your job. It helps in being a creative, innovative person who can make connections and solve problems. It's just a wonderful trait. That's so interesting what you were saying about the the military and if you you know being a sensitive person in the military and I know I've I've done work with vets and my mom that's a lot of her mission in life she loves working with veterans my dad's a veteran and so with that we've got to know a lot of people who have PTSD and have been through it a lot of trauma that they go through and it's so suppressed but to be a police officer or be in the military or any type of position like that in life it almost feels like you have to have remove the sensitivity chip. Mm. But in talking to you, I'm like, well, no, you desperately need that, especially if you're what you described, you know, situational awareness. But at the same time, like, wow, you're really going to go through it because that gift that you have of situational awareness and reading a room in a situation, you know, going into some sort of a high intensity. But wow, the ramifications of you putting yourself in that. So sacrifice of yourself, really, because you're going to be doing some work outside of that once you get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is there's a place for both more sensitive and less sensitive people. I mean, if you think about, you know, the people who stormed the beaches of Normandy, there were sensitive soldiers there. And hopefully their sensitivity helped them notice those cues that could give away what the enemy's doing and keep people alive. But there were also soldiers there who were not very sensitive at all. And frankly, those are the people who are often able to just sort of like not be affected as much in the moment. They'll probably have to process it later, even if they don't admit it, but they they might be able to shrug it off in the moment and push through things that would, you know, really be hard for other people to push through. And those are both valuable traits. Humanity really needs all of our levels of sensitivity. Yeah, absolutely. When you're looking at men and women and highly sensitive people, is it actually more women are sensitive? No, it's 30% for both. It's 30% for both. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yep. Well, that's a, that's a little myth that's been busted for me because I always thought yeah. women typically lean more sensitive than guys. They're more likely to admit it. Men won't use that <laughs> word about themselves. They'll use other terms or they will just try to hide. I mean, both, I think everyone who's sensitive faces that stigma that you described, that sense of shame or being told there's something wrong with you. We hear you're too sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? You need to toughen up. And all of us are, you know, have a pressure to sort of hide it or downplay it. But I think for men, that's especially strong. There's a whole movement too right now. This is, again, on the conservative side. And I always like to know every perspective that's happening. Sure. And there's this uh, freedom that's coming into society right now, specifically with men, where they could express themselves and show feelings. And they can try wearing different clothes. If a guy wants to wear a skirt, Ooh. hell, go for it. He wants to express himself or his feelings and be you know, out there in the open. And I love it. I'm like, put on that skirt. You want to put a little concealer on why not yeah. you know like do you Absolutely. And, and by the way it doesn't mean you're gay does it like we don't have to associate it with just because you want to cover up some dark circles on your eyes doesn't mean you suck dick you know what i mean right. but like that's so <laughs> right. quick that a society just labels a person that way or if they want to express yes. themselves through fashion or and so i love that that's happening but on the flip side of it on on that beautiful freedom that men are experiencing right now in 2023 
There's also the argument like, well, we need guys back. Oh, what happened to like mm. a good old fashioned guy? Like, I want a man's man. And I understand that too, you know, that sure. masculinity and a guy that, you know, will stick up for you or whatever. Sure. But there, there's a negative connotation with it. And so in your opinion, I'm sure you've seen that argument. And there's a lot of people like Candace Owens speaks about like, we need men to be men and women to be women, know their place. And that's how society functions and flourishes. And so that's an argument that a lot of people have. And they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, God, guys are painting their nails. What? And so I want to know your thoughts on that, because there's a lot of pushback for expressing yourself and being very sensitive. There's it's almost like the they want to push that narrative that if you are sensitive, then it's going to equate to femininity and being less masculine and gay. But that's not the case at all. Right. That's not what I at think. All. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And. You know, if we think back to whatever time period somebody wants to glorify us, that's when men were men. It could be could be ancient Sparta, which none of us want to get in a time machine and go there. It was not right. a pleasant place. <laughs> or it could be, you know, the 50s or whatever people want to sort of romance about. But in those time periods, 30% of those tough guys were sensitive. Yeah. And maybe just not and in touch with that. Yeah. Just that, well, that or, you know, there's so many ways you can express your sensitivity. And if you think about some of the very traditional manly things to do, if you're able to go out and survive in the woods and track animals and things like that, anyone can learn those skills. But it's an advantage to be more of your surroundings. It's an advantage to be more of your surroundings in sports. It's an advantage to be more aware of your surroundings in so many things in life that we think of as masculine activities. And we just we don't don't often realize how much that awareness is powered by what we call sensitivity. And I think, too, that there's this pendulum swing happening, right? And I think that's what scares people is there's nothing wrong with being lower on the sensitivity continuum. That's also a healthy trait. There's also nothing wrong with being a traditional manly man. But being sensitive has been stigmatized for so long that if you just happen to be a sensitive person, there's a lot of shame. And that's what I think we're trying to change. It's where it's not that you couldn't be less sensitive. It's not that you couldn't be a manly man. It's that you can also proudly be this other thing. And since that's been kind of hidden for so long, it's time to get into that a little bit. Let's like let's bring that to light, you know? Absolutely. Let's bring it to light and wave your sensitive flag and feel safe yes. doing it. Embrace yeah. it. I love that you're looking at sensitivity as a superpower. I think it's great. Definitely a paradigm shift. I want to talk yeah. about dating someone who's highly sensitive. So if you're dating someone who's sensitive, you're in a relationship with someone like that. I'd love some tips on that. This is what, a question I got in. What are some tips on dating or being married to a highly sensitive person? And what if you're a highly sensitive person, but you're dating like a conflict type of person or a narcissist? Mm, yeah, right. I've been in a relationship with both. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, same, same, unfortunately. I'm going to answer that part first. So I think if you are anyone of any sensitivity level and your partner is a high conflict person, that should be a sign that you may not want to be involved in this relationship any longer. It doesn't matter how sensitive you are or they are. If they're coming through as a toxic partner, unless there's some real desire on their part that they are following through on to change that and work with you on it, I would really look at just setting a boundary and moving on if possible. Well, it's not always easy. Adios, motherfucker. Yeah, audio. Exactly, exactly. But to the general question, right? So the first thing I would say is sensitive people can be in a happy relationship with other sensitive people or with people who are very low on sensitivity. You can go either way. Two sensitive people together, it's you have so many things in common, you understand each other, it can feel really magical, but you have all the same strengths and you have all the same weaknesses. On the other hand, a sensitive person with a less sensitive person, it can feel like that person is your bedrock. They anchor you. And when you're overstimulated, maybe they're not, and they can look out for you too, which is really nice. 
So either one can work, but there are these misunderstandings that come in when there's a difference in sensitivity level. So if you're dating a sensitive person, I would, first of all, really just take a moment to check yourself. And do you mean they're sensitive in the way that they have a sensitive personality, meaning they, they think deeply, they feel strongly, they have high empathy, and they need a little extra time to process things because they're going so deep with them? That's a sensitive person. Do you mean that they're like easily upset? That's not necessarily a sensitive person. That's just they have a problem with anger or whatever it might be. So it's separate those two things out. Oh, yeah. I think those are so commonly misconstrued. If you get triggered very easily or you get in your like someone who cries super easily, that doesn't necessarily mean they're highly sensitive, right? It it might or it might not. I think a lot of sensitive people do cry maybe more easily than others because we have these very strong emotions. But I think a lot of people cry for a lot of reasons. So I wouldn't use it as a, a proof that they're highly sensitive. I would look for that depth. But in terms of tips for dating them, the biggest one is that sensitive people crave depth. They are not happy with shallow relationships. Like anyone else, we can enjoy casual sex if that's what we are looking for and signed up for and everyone's happy with that. But generally speaking, in a relationship, we want depth, meaning no superficial conversations. Or everyone will have some, but we want to have really rich, meaningful conversations that go deep on a regular basis with our partner. We want to be able to talk about our emotions and their emotions or our perspective and their perspective in a way where both parties are actually interested in understanding the other person. That's a deep connection. We want to have this level of intimacy that is not just we have fun sitting next to each other on the couch watching Netflix. We have to have a real deep connection. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that sensitive people want in a relationship. I would also say that conflict is hard for sensitive people. Conflict's hard for everyone. I don't think I've ever met anyone who is good at conflict. But remember that everything does hit a little harder for sensitive people. Just like we notice the most subtle notes in a Chardonnay, we also pick up on the smallest things in terms of our partner's moods. And with an argument, what sounds like just barely raising your voice to you might feel a lot like yelling to the sensitive person. Or just, you know, a single harsh word might be enough to really, really sour the sensitive person's mood in a way that somebody else might need to hear a really honest, blunt take before they get the idea. Sensitive people will pick it up if you just tell us. Like, just tell us calmly and honestly and compassionately, I'm worried about this or, you know, I'm really struggling because you do this. And we can have that conversation. But we do have strong emotions and we need more time to process things. So one of the most powerful practices, I think, for sensitive people and their partners in a relationship is to make an intentional decision that you're going to practice timeouts when there's an argument. So either party can call and say, call for a timeout and say, hey, I I care about what you're saying. I am not putting this away or saying we can't talk about it. I'm getting overwhelmed. So let's take an hour apart. Let's take the rest of the day to not talk about this so I can process, you can process. And then how about tomorrow at two or tonight after work or whatever it might be? We'll sit down and talk about it. And that's a great practice to do. Yeah. I remember being in a relationship with someone who I'd say thrived on conflict also was oh no, uh, yeah, just, just very confrontational. And so I remember with my ex in particular, he would say something and I was like, okay, it's not necessarily the message that I disagree with. I hear the message, but it's making it very difficult because your delivery is shit for me. Yeah. And I'm never going to hear the message clearly and in a a positive way or take anything from it if you don't work on the delivery. 
I remember telling a former partner, if there's something you want me to do and I'm not into it, or there's something that you you have a, an issue with the way I did something and I'm not hearing it or whatever it might be, the best thing you can do is just like wait a day. Like, like if, you, if you need me to do something that I'm like, no, I don't think we should do that for this reason. And you're really pushing it right now. I haven't had time to process. it. I haven't had time to think it through. And like anybody else, you know, we have our, our failings. I'm going to be stubborn. I'm, you know, I could be a stubborn person. And I'm going to be like, well, no, I don't want to do that. But if you just say, well, give it some thought. And the next day, 90% of the time, I'm going to come to you and say, you know, I thought about it. That's fine. Let's do that. Like, it's not a big deal. Oh, just because great. I need that time to process it. You know? Absolutely. Yes, of course. Now, I agree completely. I always hear this saying, never go to bed angry. If you're in a relationship, marriage, mm. whatever, don't go to bed angry. Just make yeah. sure you squash it. Because, And I, I understand that because you know you never know. The, tomorrow's not promised. But right. you know, yeah. I, I like to say that sometimes it's nice to go to bed with a little bit of rage. Sometimes <laughs> it's okay to go to bed pissed off. That's okay. Or not on the same page as your partner. You sleep yeah. it off. You could wake up. You know, shit, shower, get yourself all, you know, ready for the day and then have a respect. Like, that's helped me a lot. And so I don't know if you're in the same boat with like, sometimes you do need to go to bed a bit angry. And I know that's not something people want to say or do, but for the long run, it could be really beneficial for your relationship if you literally sleep on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to go to bed, slamming the door on your partner and storming out of the room and that, like that kind of thing. You You can say, hey, look. I, I care about you. I want to talk about this. I just need to sleep and, and you know, I need to take some time. That's fine. But yeah, that doesn't mean the anger is magically gone. You can't just suddenly pretend you have a resolution just because it's almost bedtime. And I think it's it's better to process those feelings. Yeah. I remember having this happen in a relationship where because I didn't want to go to bed with any sort of angry feelings, I was like, we're going to talk this out. Oh, we're going to get to the bottom of it. And then you know, we're up to three o'clock in the morning. Like, oh, huh? yeah. Those late. Ar- yeah. Right. Oh, the worst. And I remember yeah. having those. I've had plenty of those. That was in my 20s. Now I'm in my 30s. I'm like, I'm not doing the 5 a.m. <laughs> not doing that. Yep. Wow, let's just sleep on it. I would love to ask with this book, what are some of the main takeaways or things that you would discover in this book of being highly sensitive? There's two of them. The first one is the sensitive boost effect. And the second one is the single biggest thing you need to do as a highly sensitive person. So the boost effect, it means that sensitive people are wired to get more out of the same resources and support that would help anybody else. So if you think about it, anybody in the world, if they get a training, if they get a class, if they get therapy, if they get resources given to them to help them do something, it's probably going to improve their odds of doing it. A child with a stable, calm you know, home life is going to do better in school mm-hmm. on average. But sensitive people, that's like 10 times more powerful because we are more sensitive to our environment. So that's probably one of the reasons it's evolved to be this widespread of a trait is we take in more of the benefit of all those, of the learning, of the support, of the emotional bolstering from all of those resources. We see this with sensitive kids. You get that healthy home environment. You won't just do better in school. You'll probably be top of your class. We see this with sensitive adults. We see it with sensitive teenagers. And when you think of applying that to your life as a sensitive person, that means if you get mentoring, if you seek out a coach, if you get therapy, if you take a class or develop your career, if you build around yourself a group of really good supportive friends who are just there for you, believe in you, and are not there to criticize you, any of these things help anyone. But you, as a sensitive person, have a rocket engine strapped to your back. And doing these things ignites that engine, and you just end up getting better results than other people. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. 
Exactly. A super <laughs> so every time as a sensitive person, you're struggling and thinking, oh, why is this hitting me harder than it would hit somebody else? Why am I more stressed out than my coworker is or my partner is? Well, remember, you get the flip side of that too. When there's a benefit, you get double the benefit. And if you don't have that many, you know, good friends like that in your life yet, then use therapy. If you don't have therapy, then, you know, look for a career mentor. There's many ways to get support and resources that boost you. And they'll all work more strongly for sensitive people. But the other thing that you asked about, the one thing above all else that I would tell sensitive people that I hope they would take away from reading this book, the thing you have to do as a sensitive person in order to unlock all of these strengths, in order to get these benefits we're talking about. I'm on the edge of my seat. You have to embrace your sensitivity. So many of us go through life thinking, well, I have to hide this or I have to act less sensitive. You can do that and it's not going to make you less sensitive. It's just going to mean you're cutting off all these gifts. You won't get to use them the same way. And you'll still have the big feelings. You'll still spend longer, quote unquote, overthinking things than others. You know, you'll still get overstimulated sometimes. That won't go away, but you'll be cutting off your gifts. So if you want to thrive as a sensitive person, the choice you have to make is to accept that you're sensitive, embrace being sensitive, and start to lead with that in the things you do. Lead with your sensitivity. And if needed, put it on display for the world. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, here at the Low Life Podcast, we love to do a round of rapid fire questions. So without further ado, let's jump into a round of rapid fire questions. All right. First one up, cottage on the beach or a cabin in the woods? Oh, that's such a tough one, but I would go cottage on the beach. Yeah, same. Celebrity crush. Let's go with your male and female celebrity crush. Ooh, okay. I'm going to choose two highly sensitive people. So for my male celebrity crush, Bruce Springsteen. Grew up as a sensitive kid, always on the outs for it, always a misfit because of it. And it turned out to power his greatness in his music. Wonderful guy. And Nicole Kidman, who is on the record. First of all, she's one of my favorite actors in the world. But secondly, she's on the record not only saying that she is a highly sensitive person, but that Really, every actor must be a highly sensitive person. You can't really do that job if you're not. Yeah, love Nicole Kidman. If your belly button had a magical power, any power when you press it, what would you make your belly button do? I think if I I would want to be able to push my belly button and it just emanates a feeling of peace to the people around me so it can just calm arguments and, and conflicts down. doesn't force anyone to do anything. It just brings the emotions down, lets everyone be a little calmer about it. What is the last meal you would have on death row? I think I would go with a wonderful platter of sushi. Nice. Yeah. Uh, When are you most inspired? I'm most inspired by stories of sacrifice. Mm. What is a movie that is a mood changer for you? A movie that you've seen more than once. It could be a comedy, whatever. Like a movie that you could quote. I'm not going to ask you to quote it though, but. I'm going to go back to my childhood on this one. It's the never ending story. Are you familiar with the five love languages? I am. Yeah. Okay. Just to refresh you, there's acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, and quality time. What is the top way, love language-wise, that you receive love? For me, it's a toss-up between gifts and acts of service, but I think acts of service is my number one. Yeah. People are doing shit for you. Uh, What is the last TV show that you binge-watched? I So I'm currently, this is, (laughs) I'm currently binge-watching Last Man on Earth. Top two songs on your playlist right now. The song is called In Binary by a group called Lamb. It's an electronic song that just has this beautiful, powerful feeling to it that just kind of transports me. Here, 
And then the other one would be also Electronica, which would be the song Teardrop by Massive Attack. What is something that people commonly get wrong about you? A lot of people think I'm an extrovert. I'm very social and I do like people, but I then go home and crash for a long period of time. Okay, we are same. Yeah. yeah. When you die and come back to this world, let's say you believe in reincarnation, which yeah. animal would you choose to come back to this world as? I think I would just choose a cat. That's probably a standard answer, but especially if it can be a house cat. But even if not, like just being a cat just sounds really fun. I mean, even if it's just like a feral cat, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Street cat. <laughs> yeah. If you had the chance to know, someone would tell you this is when you're going to die. And you knew when that expiration date is for your life. Would you want to know the answer? Here's my problem. I'm too curious. I guess this is why I'll come back as a cat, right? Curiosity killed the cat. I, I know it's going to be bad for my mental health for the entire rest of my life to know when I'll die. I would still want to know. I'd be like, give me the goods. Spill the tea. When am I going to die? Yeah, I'm in the same. I, I agree. I'd want to know too. At the Low Life Podcast, this episode's coming out on Thursday. So we always want to leave the listeners with a little words to live by or a quote, something you tell yourself so the listeners have something to take into the weekend. A long time ago, I did a long bicycle trip across the country. And I would oh. often stay with random people who are just good people and want to you know, put a random adventure up for the night. And there was this guy that I ended up becoming really good friends with, Jimmy. And in his courtyard, he had this wooden sign that he had painted. It had this quote. I forget where he said the quote came from originally, but it says, strive for beauty and humanity. Well, that's his motto. And I think that's maybe become mine. Just whatever you do, strive for beauty and humanity. Strive for beauty and humanity. That is beautiful and the perfect note to leave this podcast episode on. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias for listening to this week's episode of the Low Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We got some great episodes coming in hot for you. My kings and queens, you will not be disappointed. I'm excited for the upcoming guests that I have. Oh, and I have some solo missions coming up too. Lots to unpack, documentaries to watch. I also want to do a 2023 fashion episode, so stay tuned for that as well. Like a what's hot, what's not, trends, what we should be wearing, what not to wear, that sort of thing. So I'll break that down in an episode there's a lot coming up. I'm so excited, but I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Literally wouldn't exist if it weren't for you, the listener. And I never forget that. I'm forever grateful and know how important it is to have listeners <laughs> because you can't have a show without people listening to it. So thank you so much for supporting this podcast, sharing it with your friends, family members, your loved ones. There are three things you could do to really help a podcast and keep a little shit show afloat. Any podcast you enjoy. The first thing is, of course, sharing it with the people you love, recommending it. That's the best way. Referral. That's how most people actually end up getting into a new podcast is if it's recommended from a friend. I know that works for me. The second way to really impact a podcast is to use the sponsor codes. Any sponsor that we have, if it's something that you would actually use or enjoy, use the low life code, and that helps with the financial side keeping the show afloat. But the biggest way, number three, is actually taking the time to leave a review. It's a small gesture leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, but it really does make the most impact. It helps tremendously with the analytics, the algorithm. It helps with getting the show promoted to new listeners. It keeps this show moving. It helps with sponsorships. The more reviews a show has, the better. So thank you so much 
for taking the time to actually leave a review. And these reviews can be anything you want them to be. Throw a little emoji my way. Throw a dick emoji, a salsa dancer, rainbows, unicorns, stars. We love it all. Or you could actually write something. Today, I'd actually love for you to answer the question, would you be into doing the 75 hard challenge with me? Is that something that you would even consider? Yes, no, maybe so. Let me know in the review section of Apple Podcasts. Also, if you're a highly sensitive king or queen, before listening to this episode, did you look at it as more of a weakness or a strength for yourself in regards to relationships, business, just overall? After talking to Andre, I felt a bit better about it and I was like, hold up. I don't need to feel shame for being sensitive. This is empowering. This is beautiful. It's a superpower, baby. And so I'm feeling a lot better about it, but I'm just very curious if you were in the same boat as I was. I want to show my appreciation, my gratitude for my beautiful lowlifers who have taken the time to write something on Apple Podcasts. So if you want a chance to win a little something, something, who doesn't love free shit? The lowlife gifting suite is still open for business. So if you want a chance to win hyaluronic serums, beauty products, mud masks that I'm obsessed with, shit you didn't know you needed off Amazon that I use on the regular, gifts from our sponsors, gift cards, gas cards. Gas is still crazy expensive. Hell, I'm even throwing in some grocery store cards because the cost of eggs. People want some huevos, but they're very expensive right now. And so if you want a chance to win a little something, something, a gift from the gifting suite, all you have to do is leave a review, answer the question on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you put your Instagram handle somewhere in the review so that I could find you, slide into your DMs, and you might just be getting a little something, something in the mail from the low life. It's me and my producer. We're over here making gifts, putting these cute boxes together. The queen helps as well. It's actually really fun and therapeutic for us. Because my love language is gifts. I like receiving them, but giving them really hits different. It does something special for me. I love doing it. All right, first review is coming in hot from at Nadia M. Moday. What a pretty name. Am I butchering that though? N-A-D-I-A, that's Nadia. And then the last name is O-D-E-H. O-Day or Ode. Either way is beautiful. Nadia M. Oday writes, instantly in love, five stars. I've started, stopped, erased, and started again enough times it's worth mentioning. How to articulate my love for you. There is something about you that is so beautiful and genuine and magnetic, a combination that is so very rare. I love listening to your show and appreciate you as a human in the world so very much. As requested, here's my IG handle. She gave me a little heart. Nadia Moday. Oh my God, that is beautiful. Are you single, Nadia? I mean, I'm not into chicks, but after reading that review, I feel like you just get me. That's the most beautiful review. (laughs) Do you want to date, Nadia? (laughs) Thank you for those kind words. I was being a bit hard on myself earlier this week, feeling like shit. Just sometimes I could be my own worst critic. I'm working on this negative self-talk. You got to stop that. I'm like, low don't be so mean to yourself. Sometimes you got to give yourself a win. And so I forget that. I'm working on it. But reading that review was really special. So thank you. That just warmed my spicy heart right up. Appreciate you, Nadia. All right, next review is coming in hot from Megan Adams. Megan Adams at Adams underscore 08. Megan writes, I'm a low lifer for life five stars. I've been listening since birth. <laughs> She came out of the womb. She's been listening to this podcast. (laughs) She's my two-year-old listener. I'm newly separated, waiting on divorce, and I was hoping to see the non-negotiables for dating. I've been married 15 years, now a single mom of two, and I have no clue what I'm doing dating-wise. Love you, Lo. Megan Adams. Oh, I get what you were saying now. You've been listening since birth. Since the birth 
of this podcast. It came out of my vagine and I birthed the Low Life Podcast into the world. <laughs> so since the podcast has been born, you've been listening. Thank you for that. You're an OG low lifer. First things first, felicidades, congrats on the divorce. This is a new chapter in your life, Queen. It's very exciting. I'm actually going to be doing an episode on dating. I have Ashley Raynard coming back. We're talking about dating, relationships, sex, everything. We're going to do a whole Q&A. And so I'll be answering a lot of relationship and dating type questions in that episode, which is going to be like in a couple weeks. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, I would love to know some non-negotiables. There are a few people who wrote some deal breaker red flags in the review section of Apple Podcasts. That's what I like the review section to be like a conversation we're having so I can get to know more about you guys as well. And so please let me know if there are any red flags, big non-negotiable deal breakers, dating deal breakers. Please let me know what those are for you in the review section. Spill some tea in the review section of Apple Podcasts and I'll be sharing them on the show. We have time for one more review and this one is coming in hot from at KK from GA. Thank God it was only two Ks. Otherwise get a bit dicey over here. So two Ks from GA. GA meaning Georgia? KK from GA, right? You're awesome. Five stars. Thank you for all the weekly podcasts. And nope, I don't desire an open relationship. Oh, she was answering the question that I had with Ashley Raynard. If you're down or have been in an open relationship, is that something you'd be into? And so for KK from GA, mm -mm, she's not down for that. Fair enough, but open relationships do work for some people. And that's the main thing I wanted to get across is it doesn't mean you're freaky or weird or you're in some sort of a sex cult if you want an open relationship. A lot of people have very healthy, successful open relationships. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but it is a tea that's very enjoyable for a lot of people. That's all I'm saying. God, when I read reviews and look at your Instagrams, like I cannot wait to meet my listeners. I Love you so much. I just want to meet you, hang out, give you a hug. Like, I can't wait for that day when I could take this little shit show on the road, have a podcast tour. Ah, that would be so good. I have the best listeners and I can't wait to meet you one day. But until then, I hope you have a beautiful weekend ahead. Take a nice long shower, apply your serums. Don't forget SPF. Maybe have yourself a delicious glass of wine, maybe two glasses of wine. It's okay. It's the weekend. Live it up. But don't forget to drink your water, puta. Because I know you're thirsty. <laughs> we love, love you. you. And we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Over there with you. <laughs>